Josiah is remembered as one of the greatest leaders in the history of our people, but one whose death marked the extinguishing of the last chance to stave off Jerusalem's destruction. But he has become part of the national memory of the Jews. Many Jews mourn his death to this day, every year, on the 9th of Av, the Jewish day of mourning. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 118, Josiah the Great. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In 2013, the media reported how the oldest Torah scroll in the world had been discovered in the University of Bologna, carbon dated to the 12th century or early 13th. Interviewing a professor of Hebrew at the university, Mauro Perani, Reuters reports as follows, quote, The scroll, which has been in possession of the Bologna University Library for more than 100 years, had been previously thought to be from the 17th century. It had been labeled Scroll II. There are many fragments of the Torah that are older, but not complete scrolls, with all five books. A Jew who was a librarian at the university examined the scroll in 1889 for a catalog and wrote, 17th century followed by a question mark, Parani said in a telephone interview. But in preparation for a new catalog of the university's Judaica collection, Parani, 63, studied the scroll and suspected that the librarian had made too cursory an examination in 1889 and not recognized its antiquity. End quote. Amazing. A Torah scroll over 800 years old, sitting alone, unappreciated, for centuries. And now it has been rediscovered. As I read that story, I realized that this was not the first time that a similar tale had taken place. Because it was a long-lost Torah discovered in the first temple that changed the life of an 18-year-old king in one of the most inspiring stories in the Bible, one which teaches us a deep lesson about the Torah scroll itself. The righteous Hezekiah is followed by one of the absolute worst kings in the Davidic line. His name is Menashe, who embraces idolatry and transforms the temple itself into a place of paganism. Chapter 21, verse 2. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, after the abominations of the pagan, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he reared up altars for Baal, and made a grove, as did Ahab king of Israel, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Under Menashe, all Israel embraces idolatry, and it is in Menashe's reign that the destruction of Jerusalem is divinely decreed. Verse 12. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. Menashe is succeeded by his son Ammon, who perpetuates the paganism of his predecessor until he is murdered. And then Menashe's grandson Josiah, all of eight years old, ascends the throne. Josiah, or Yoshiao, seems to have sought God from the very beginning and undertakes a restoration of the temple. But it is ten years after his reign begins that the discovery of one sacred scroll changes everything. Chapter 22, verse 8. And Chilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the scroll of the Torah in the house of the Lord. And Chilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work, that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Chilkiah the priest hath delivered me a scroll. And Shaphan read it before the king. 
And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the scroll of the Torah, that he rent his clothes. The rabbis assert that this Torah had been written by Moses himself, and that at least part of the scroll, which Josiah read, was the tochacha, the promised punishment if Israel broke the covenant. Josiah seeks out the great female prophet Chulda, who informs him that the destruction will indeed occur. But rather than fatalistically accepting this decree, Josiah leads a national repentance movement, destroying every bit of idolatry that is openly in existence, not only within his own kingdom, but also what is left in northern Israel. Somehow, this encounter with the Torah scroll had changed his life. Seeking to understand this, we turn to the tale of Joachim Yosef, an Israeli astrophysicist with a unique specialty, storms in space, unique cosmic phenomena that occur above thunderstorms, brief flashes of light that take place beyond the clouds that are called transient luminous events, or TLEs. Joachim Yosef's story is told in the PBS documentary Space Shuttle Columbia, Mission of Hope, a film that is largely about the late, great Israeli astronaut Ilan Ramon. In the film, we learn that NASA wanted Joachim Yosef's machinery that he had created for study of TLEs on its next space shuttle, the Columbia, and agreed that an Israeli by the name of Ilan Ramon would serve as payload specialist to oversee it. As Yosef and Ramon relocated to the U.S., they spent a lot of time together. One evening, they were chatting in Yosef's office, and Ramon's eye fell on a little box, which, upon being opened, revealed a tiny, fully kosher Torah scroll. Ramon asked Yosef the story of this scroll, and Yosef told him that he had grown up as a child in Amsterdam, and that when the Netherlands were captured by the Nazis, he was sent to Bergen-Belsen. One of the people in the barracks of Bergen-Belsen was a rabbi, Simon Dasberg, who had been the spiritual leader of the Jewish community of Groningen in Amsterdam. As Yosef said on the film, he found out that I was going on 13, and one day he came to me and said, Do you want to become a bar mitzvah boy? I said, Yes, but how? He said, I'm going to teach you if you are willing. Every morning at 4 o'clock, he woke me up and took out a little Torah scroll that he had smuggled into the camp, and we would study with it. One morning, he said, Well, the time has come. He had arranged everything. All the windows were shut off with blankets, and there was a blanket on the table with the Torah on top of it, and there were a bunch of people waiting there, and he conducted a real service. And when I almost got into the stage where I should read, there was a knock on the door and everybody froze. The rabbi went to the door, and there was my mother. I ran to her and hugged her, went back to the table, read my portion, said my bar mitzvah speech. After the conclusion of the service, someone gave me one little cube of chocolate. The rabbi took me aside and said, Here is the Torah from which you read. I want you to take it. I said, how can I take a Torah? I'm a little boy. Little boys don't take Torahs. He said, just promise me one thing. I'm probably not going to get out of here alive. That is why I want you to have this. You must promise me that you will tell this story. And he pressed it into my hand. And I said, okay, I promise. So Joachim Yosef says on the film, tell the story. The truth is that the Torah embodies the story of our people. And it asks each of us to tell the story. By taking that Torah, Joachim Yosef was committing himself to continuing the tale, not only of the sainted rabbi, but of his people. That is what the Torah is. To touch it is to contact generations past, present, and posterity. and To feel the obligation to tell their story. The film goes on to describe how Ilan Ramon, hearing Joachim Yosef's story, was overcome 
and insisted on taking the Torah up into space with him. And he told the story of the Torah on live TV. Joachim Yosef further said, while interviewed for the film, I had finally fulfilled my promise to Rabbi Dasberg in a way that I had never thought possible. It had gone from the depths of hell to the heights of space. So he said, and to put his wonderful words another way, Joachim Yosef learned that one does not need a multi-million dollar machine to see heavenly flashes of light, to experience transient luminous events, to find a beacon of hope in the heavens at times of storm. All we need is a Torah to reconnect us to all the letters, all the lives, all the spirits of those who have come before. This, it seems, is what occurred to Josiah, who also, as a very young man, suddenly comes upon a sacred scroll and is linked to the tale of his ancestors. Josiah assembles all of Judah, all of the people of Israel, for Passover. And we are told in chapter 23, verse 22, that surely there was not held such a Passover from the days of the judges that judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel, nor of the kings of Judah. The years that follow from that Passover until the 31st year of Josiah's reign marks a spiritual renaissance. And indeed, it could well have worked. Though Huldah had informed Josiah of the imminence of exile, God, through Jeremiah, makes clear that repentance can in the end stave off destruction. But Josiah makes one mistake, his only mistake, but one which has terrible consequences because it will deny the people of Judah, the king it so desperately needs. As Babylonia wars with Assyria, the leader of Egypt, Pharaoh Necho, seeks to cross the Holy Land to intervene on behalf of his Assyrian ally. And Josiah attempts to stop the Pharaoh from entering the Holy Land. And he dies in the attempt. Verse 29. In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up against the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. And King Josiah went against him. And he slew him at Megiddo when he had seen him. And his servants carried him in a chariot dead from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own sepulcher. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in his father's stead. Why does Josiah not allow the Pharaoh to use the Holy Land as a shortcut? Why does he battle against the king of Egypt? One Talmudic suggestion is that Josiah was so confident in what his repentance movements had achieved that he thought that he had attained an eschatological era where no foreign armies would enter Israel. My own theory, which builds on what the Talmud says, though what I am suggesting is only conjecture, is inspired by two small scriptural allusions in the book of Chronicles. One is the statement that Josiah specifically sought war with Egypt, which sounds like it was not merely defensive. And second, that the war is described right after we are told of the Passover celebration in Josiah's Jerusalem and how extraordinary it was. The two events are juxtaposed, even though really the war against Egypt takes place 13 years later. This, I think, is important, instructive. The obligation of the celebration of Pesach, Passover, is to reconstitute the national memory of the exodus from Egypt. Perhaps Josiah was so excited by the success of his celebration that he sought to further cement Israel's devotion to God by following his national recollection of the original victory over Egypt with a contemporary victory over Egypt. Benjamin Franklin, as we have mentioned, famously suggested that the seal of the United States be an image of Israel's victory at the splitting of the sea, Moses' triumph over Pharaoh. Here, perhaps, Josiah sought to solidify national repentance by creating a parallel between the birth of Israel and Israel of his time, because he thought that another Exodus experience would 
be followed by another Sinai experience, another covenantal acceptance of God and his Torah, the Torah that he had found in the temple. But it was, alas, all in vain. Josiah fell in battle. And because Chronicles reports that Josiah was prophetically commanded not to engage in battle against Pharaoh, therefore tradition accords to Josiah the following as his final words. Sadiku Hashem kifiu mariti. The Lord is righteous, for I have defied his word. Josiah is remembered as one of the greatest leaders in the history of our people, but one whose death marked the extinguishing of the last chance to stave off Jerusalem's destruction. But he has become part of the national memory of the Jews, and many Jews mourn his death to this day, every year, on the 9th of Av, the Jewish day of mourning. Ilan Ramon was lost along with his fellow astronauts, when the Columbia exploded upon re-entry. The Torah of Rabbi Dasberg that he brought with him was lost as well. But that does not mean that Ramon or the Torah he took are completely gone. At a memorial for the Columbia, Ramon's widow, Rona Ramon, met another astrophysicist, Henry Finichel, who showed them an almost identical small Torah scroll, which had been given to him by an elderly cousin who escaped Nazi Germany, a Torah scroll that had also been hidden in Bergen-Belsen. Rona Ramon asked Finichel for a special favor, to allow his Torah scroll to be a passenger on a future space shuttle mission, as an homage to the life of Ilan Ramon and to the Torah of Rabbi Dasberg. And so, in 2006, another tiny Torah was taken up to space in the shuttle Atlantis, and the Atlantis with this Torah landed safe and sound on September 21, 2006, as Jews all over the world were about to observe Rosh Hashanah. To hold the Torah scroll is to hear it ask of us to continue the story of all who came before so that they might live. Thus we remember an ancient king, a great king, with so much love to this day. And we know that whenever we cleave to the Torah, that Josiah lives as well. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together next week, signing off.